simple message. It's a simple message, as the opening of that says, a simple message of hope. It is so simple. We could do nothing about our sin problem. Every one of us has the same inherent core at its root problem, and that's called sin. We could do nothing about it. Its penalty and its power were something that we could not change. God in His holiness demanded a payment, a death for our sin, and God out of His love sent His own Son to, to be that payment for our sin. Because of that grace, we are offered the opportunity to escape the eternal penalty and the earthly power of our sin. And through our faith, we make an exchange. We exchange our sin and our dirtiness and our awfulness for the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We receive His grace, His forgiveness, and His love. And, and as Jesus lives in us and through us, we receive strength and wisdom and maturity and hope. It's a simple message, and for most of you here, it's old news. And I say that both in the sense that you've heard it before, and for some you've heard it and sort of have moved on past it. It's old news. You know the story for the most part. Even if you've never grown up in church and you are fairly new to this whole thing, you probably know at least the general facts, according to the Bible, about the story. You know that Jesus died, that he was raised again. At least maybe you think that's what the Bible claims. So for the most part, we can agree that we know the facts. We know the simple message. And yet, despite knowing it, there are so many here today who live in turmoil. There are so many here today who live without hope and without peace. So many here today who, despite knowing the truth of that simple message, still live in sin, still live in fear, still live in bondage. There are so many here today, even though you know it, everything in your life seems to be falling apart. Your marriage is struggling. Your home is a war zone. You've lost your dreams. You've given up. You can't shake the bad habits that are destroying your life. And maybe for some who are unmarried here today, you've given up hope of finding the person to spend your life with. You just say it's all gone and it's all over, despite knowing the truth of the story and this simple message. Because despite knowing it, I really think that there are probably few of us who really, really believe it and apply it to our lives. It's easy in church. It sounds great when we're here, but what do you do with that simple message when you leave? It's the whole point, isn't it? You don't spend your entire life in church. Some of you think that I live and sleep maybe right here, but I don't. I have a life that I live also outside of our experience on Sunday mornings, and I know you do too. So what do you do with that simple message? Because I really believe that in some area of each life that's represented here today, there's lost hope, and you need it and you want it back. The simple message that I want to give you this morning, interestingly, relates to something very near and dear to the hearts of many people here, and that is Kentucky basketball. Now, I'm going to throw you a bone this morning because I've been living it up just a little bit because in case you didn't know, I'll remind you one more time. Louisville won the national championship this year. First time since I was eight years old, so I'm going to enjoy it because it might not happen again for a long, long time. But for those of you that are Kentucky fans or just have an appreciation for basketball or you just like good stories, in 1994, I remember listening to a game on the radio in which Kentucky was playing a much inferior Louisiana State team, LSU. 
And in the first half, LSU could not miss. They hit three-pointer after three-pointer after three-pointer. I watched the highlights this week. It was amazing. They pull up from anywhere on the floor and drain it. Just amazing. And so by 15 minutes to go in the game, Kentucky was down by 31 points. Now at that point, it's easy just to cut your losses, to try to make it halfway respectable, get on the bus and go home <laughs> and try to forget that it happened. But one of the UK all-time greats, Travis Ford, said this. I pulled everyone together and I said, we're down 31. And we're not going to leave this building without a win. We're going to win this game no matter what. I'll stay here all night. And everyone said, you're right. And everyone stepped up their play, he said. And during the last 15 minutes of the game, almost seemingly, now if God were a UofL fan, I'd think it were an act of God, but almost seemingly as an act of God, Kentucky rallies back, stops LSU from scoring, and they come back, storm back from 31 down to win by four points. All because one guy said, it's not over. He looked at the clock and said, there's 15 minutes on the clock. It's not over. And that's the message. If you're looking at the back of your bulletin, center of the back of your bulletin, go ahead and write it down right now. The message, simple message, I want you to get today is exactly the kind of thing that Travis Ford was thinking and the kind of thing that Jesus was thinking when he approached Peter in the passage of Scripture that we'll look at today. It's not over. Now, you can take this however you like today, a pep from the coach of the church, <laughs> but I hope you hear it as the words of Jesus spoken directly to your life, directly to the situation that you've given up on, directly to... Whatever it is that has caused you to lose hope, it's not over no matter how bleak it may seem. If you've got a Bible or you're looking on your phone or your tablet or wherever you may be this morning, get to John chapter 21. We are in a series called Easter in the Lord's Own Words. And our goal here has simply been to get the Lord's perspective, His words, before, during, and after the events of Easter weekend. Not looking for new truth. But let's take the angle of, let's see what Jesus said through all of this, and maybe we'll get just a simply a fresh perspective. Now, the story that we'll see this morning in John 21 is a very powerful story. Now, interestingly enough, I was looking at my notes, and I, this is the third time that I've preached from this passage since I've been at Elm Grove. And I, that, that really bothers me, I'll just be honest with you. I, just, I do not like to repeat sermons, and this is not a repeated sermon, it's a new sermon based upon the same passage, but... But this was not by design, but, but seemingly, and certainly not because of, of laziness that I didn't want to prepare this week, but, but there must be something that God wants us to learn, or else He wouldn't bring us back to this passage three times in four and a half years. Each Easter over the last couple of years, for whatever reason, I've gone back to this passage. Now, the context of this story in, in John chapter 21, and if you look just at verse 15, we won't get to the scripture and read it just yet, but if you look there, you'll kind of see that's where we're going to start. What's happened is this is, this is after the, deni the denial of Jesus by Peter. Now, let me read you this real quick. You'll see these verses on the screen. You don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 14, uh, in verse 27, it says this, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will run away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been resurrected, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Now here's Peter. Peter told him, one of his followers, one of his disciples, Peter told him, even if everyone runs away, I will certainly not. 
I assure you, Jesus said to him, today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he kept insisting, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Same chapter, a few verses later, verse 66. While Peter was in the courtyard below, this is during the trial and all of this of Jesus. One of the high priest's servants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with that Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. Then he went out to the, to the entryway and a rooster crowed. There's the first one. When the servant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, This man is one of them. But again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you, are, you certainly are one of them, since you are also a Galilean. Then he started to curse and to swear an oath. I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the word to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he began to weep. You imagine Peter at his lowest point, post-denial. But this story that we'll see in John 21 is also post-resurrection, which means that Jesus is alive. Now, it was also, uh, I guess you could say it was both the, the greatest hope of the disciples, and in Peter's case, uh, what caused him the greatest amount of trepidation. Because Jesus is alive, which means that Peter is going to have to face the facts on the denial that Jesus was right. Peter didn't die with him. And in fact, he did run away. And in fact, he did deny him. Interestingly enough, when the angel tells the ladies in, in the Gospel of Mark about the resurrection of Jesus, they say, go and tell Peter. You ever felt cornered by the Lord? That's what Peter's going to experience. In the first 14 verses of John chapter 21, the story goes like this. The disciples go fishing. And they just simply get back to normal business. Jesus has been resurrected. They sort of know that, but they're not sure what to do. So they go fishing, which was their occupation. They have an unproductive morning on the lake. And Jesus shows up, provides a miraculous catch of fish for them. Peter jumps into the water, not knowing what else to do. Tries to swim as fast as he can. It's sort of like Forrest Gump. He jumps into the water, and he swims, and then he doesn't know what to do. He then leaves the water, gets onto the shore. Jesus cooks them all breakfast, and they all sit around thinking, is it really him? Yeah, it really is, but I'm not sure what to say to him. Even Peter, the one who would always speak out, really had nothing to say to Jesus. He's very apprehensive because he knows that Jesus knows that Peter denied him, and he can't hide it anymore. All of that gets us to verse 15, where Jesus is going to approach Peter Sitting by the fire, Peter at this point probably thinks Jesus is going to kick him out. Peter, it's been nice knowing you, but you're no longer one of my disciples. I'll see you later. You are dismissed. Maybe that's what he was thinking. Like the old game show, you are the weakest link. Maybe that's what Jesus was going to say to him. Maybe he was going to embarrass him in front of all of his friends. Now here's something I believe to be true about Peter, knowing his life just a little bit. He really wanted to believe deeply in Jesus he wanted to, and I, I really think that, that he did believe in Jesus, but he struggled with it. His faith wavered from time to time. He wanted to be close to Jesus. He knew him, but, but at this moment that we'll pick up the story, he figured it was all over between them. He thought he had messed up too much. He had gone too far, 
And as we'll see, I really believe that Peter was harder on himself than God was going to be on him. He didn't understand that he needed to apply the power and the story of the resurrection to his own life. And you and I are the same way. Because you may really want to believe, and you may believe, but you may struggle to believe in Jesus completely. You may want to be close to the Lord. You may know Him, but you may have done things or had things happen to you where you just figure it's all over. I need to keep my distance. Or maybe there's something that you've just given up on. Peter here has just given up on life, it seems. And you'll see maybe, maybe the correlation. Maybe, maybe you've given up on a relationship or on a dream or a job or a possibility or even on your own life. You just say it's over. What do you do when by your doing or by that of others, life as you know it seems to be over? Look at John chapter 21, verse 15. When they had eaten breakfast, the breakfast Jesus had cooked for them, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him. You know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he, that being Peter, would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. I had you write it down already, but let me remind you, the theme that we're talking about today, Easter in the Lord's own words, it's not over. You get that from Jesus here when he shows up to Peter. It's not over. And if he can say it to Peter, then he can say it to you and me today. Now let me give you five steps to take. Because of that simple truth, it's not over. And if you remember nothing else, you remember that. You repeat it to yourself and you go back to John chapter 21 and you reread this story and you have Jesus say it to you over and over. It's not over. But let me give you five steps that maybe this morning you'd, take, you'd just take one. Or maybe this morning you say, no, no, I can't stop with one. I've got to take them all. Or maybe this week you take that bulletin with you or you go back and you listen to the sermon that will be online this week and you just say, you know what, I'm going to take the steps that were given. Number one, because it's not over, don't quit. Don't quit. I want to take you back real quick to Matthew chapter 16. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to tell you the story. Matthew 16 is where Jesus is having an interaction with his disciples. And he comes to them and he says to them, who does everybody think that I am? And they rattle off who everybody is kind of speculating. Is Jesus this guy or is he this guy or whatever? And he looks at them and he says, who do you say that I am? Peter, on behalf of all the disciples, he speaks up and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of God. His, his greatest moment right here in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're exactly right. And guess what? What I'm going to use you for is going to be something incredible. I'm going to use you to help establish the beginning of my church, Jesus says. You are going to be someone, we see this play out in Acts. You are going to be someone who's instrumental in getting this movement going after I'm God. And Peter gets to be a part of that. But then you fast forward the story to what we just heard a few moments ago with the denial. And you see him at his lowest moment. Peter then is in John chapter 21 wanting to quit, I'm sure. 
He's sitting there by the fire, as, as the previous verses tell us, and probably wanting to give up. And then Jesus approaches him and three times tells him that the mission he gave him in Matthew 16 is still good. What does he say? Verse 15, feed my lambs. Verse 16, shepherd my sheep. Verse 17, feed my sheep. You realize that was all a part of the original mission of helping to establish and to build the church was to be a shepherd for God's people. So the original message that Jesus gave him was the one he reiterates to him when Peter thinks it's all over. Jesus essentially tells him, don't quit. I've got something for you. All is not lost. There's still something, Peter, for you to do. Maybe Peter figured, well, Jesus is Jesus, and he can do whatever he wants to, and the mission of the church will still go on, but, but I've kind of lost my place. I, I can't be used anymore. I, I, I'm, I'm not the right guy. He had failed so miserably. He had been so stupid, and now he wanted to quit. You may find yourself there this morning. You may say, you know what, I, I read this story, and that's me. I, I'm Simon Peter, right there. Maybe you've failed as a person, as a spouse, as a parent, as a friend, as a student, maybe as a provider for your family. The tendency will always be to give up, always. That's human nature. You will always think there's no hope. But I'm here to tell you on behalf of Jesus Christ and on the truth of this passage of Scripture, don't give up. It's not over. So don't give up on your life. Don't give up on your marriage. Don't give up because of your sin. Don't give up because you, you've blown it a few times. Don't give up on your children or on your future or on having influence in the lives of others. Don't give up. Hear the truth from Jesus this morning. Peter thought it was done. He thought it was all over, but Jesus had something else to say. It's not over, so don't quit. And then number two, which you'll see is actually number three on your bulletin. I changed it. Now, for some of you, that's just going to throw you, and you won't be able to listen the rest of the time. I apologize in advance. You'll be back with us when we stand to sing, and that's okay. But number two is actually number three. So instead of going over, I'm going to go down and over just a tad there on your bulletin, all right? Number two is repent. Don't quit. And then secondly, repent. Jesus questions Peter three times, do you love me? And three times, Peter must tell him, yes, I love you. There were three denials, three questions, three confessions of love. Jesus gave Peter the chance to fully repent, to fully admit, yes, Lord, you know and I know that I've messed up, but yes, I love you. I'm turning from all of that. And the same chance is offered to you this morning. Because whether you want to acknowledge it or not, Jesus himself is present with us this morning and can, through his Holy Spirit, speak to you directly and give you the opportunity this morning to repent. So when you've sinned, which all of us have, when you've failed and everybody here could say, I'm a failure. When you've given up and all of us have those areas of life. When you're part of the problem and everybody is part of the problem. <laughs> when you find yourself there, don't give up. Don't quit. But repent. Repentance means you're going to have to face reality. There's something called sin. Now, we don't like to talk about sin in our world today because that's offensive to people. But let me tell you who first started talking about sin. And if you had a problem with it, take it up with him. His name is God. Don't come to me and say, you offended me by talking about sin. 
that's great. I'll simply acknowledge, I'm sorry that you were offended by that. I'll continue to offend you. I love you, but God said it, so I've got to say it as well. There's something called sin. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a little failure. It is sin. It is going against what God has said. That's basically our human nature. (laughs) We're born to do that. We've got to face reality that the things in our lives that we need to turn from are sin. Part of the reason maybe why we feel like we need to quit is because we've caused some issues in our lives. And so maybe this morning you just face reality and say, Lord, you know what? That's a sin. Peter had to face reality and come to Jesus and say, essentially, yeah, I recognize that my denial was a sin. I pretended I didn't even know you. He also had to acknowledge his past. In in John chapter 18, and I won't won't turn there, but but there's, there's a reference to Peter at the denial. And do you know what's going on? Do you know what? The, there's one consistent thing that happened at the denial. It was going on at the denial. It also happened in our passage here in John 21. There was a charcoal fire burning in each one. Peter is there warming himself outside on the night that Jesus is arrested. And, and, and he's warming himself over a charcoal fire. And you know what it says in John chapter 21 in verse 8 that he walks upon Jesus cooking breakfast over what? A charcoal fire. He's got to acknowledge his past. I mean, imagine all that stuff coming flooding back to him. I remember the last time I was standing over one of those. That was a couple nights ago, and guess what? I said I didn't even know that guy who's cooking me breakfast. In fact, I was cursing the people, yelling and screaming, acting like I'd lost my mind so they'd leave me alone. I was cursing the people who suggested that I did. And now here he is, acknowledging the past. Also, Jesus asked him three times, acknowledging the fact, Peter, you denied me three times, right? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, yes, yes. He denied him three times, and now he gets to confess his love three times. He had to acknowledge the past, but he wasn't meant to stay there. Some of us are really good at acknowledging the past and then just staying right there, beating ourselves up. Listen, I, I talk to you. I hear your stories. I'm human too. We like to wallow in the past. We like to beat ourselves up. We like to keep ourselves stuck for reasons that, that really are illegitimate because we don't have to. Peter had to acknowledge the past, but he wasn't meant to stay there because it wasn't over for him. He was to repent, and then for number three, he was to be restored, which is the same truth for us. Don't quit. Repent and be restored. Just when he's expecting to get ripped by the Lord, he's pleasantly surprised. When I was in high school, I had the, I'm not sure I would call it a privilege or an honor, but I had the distinct position of being a teacher's aide for my baseball coach. And my baseball coach, at this point in his career, had transitioned from the health and PE classroom and gym to where he handled what would be called in-school suspension. At my high school, we called it time out. Isn't it great? Treat them like kids. We called it timeout, and and Coach Miller had this portable classroom that sat behind the school, and he had, it was like his little kingdom, his domain, and he sat in there, and no matter what time of year it was, it was 85 or 90 degrees inside that portable. He kept the heat up all the time, the shades pulled, no light, I mean, it was awful, and he just wore those kids out. They didn't want to come back, wouldn't let them talk, wouldn't let them look at him, they couldn't look at each other, anything, it was just... It was great, really. But anyway, um, one of the things that I had to do during third period was to run errands for him. 
Now, Coach Miller, you understand, given his own portable living there in his own kingdom, sort of took things into his own hands and, and made up his own rules. So he would send me from time to time off school grounds on different missions for him driving his truck. Now, he ran an apple business at the time on the side. He had an apple orchard down in, um, in Grayson County, which is around Litchfield. And he had me delivering apples one day and this Ford pickup truck that had a huge box on top of it, the back, you know. And I, I struggled to drive my car, much less to drive this diesel truck. And I'll never forget, one day I'd take off and the apples were stacked as high as they could in these boxes in the back of his truck. And I'd get to a speed bump at the school. I was unfamiliar with a diesel engine and, and figured you had to jam on the gas pretty hard to get that thing going. And sure enough, that's what I did. And I hit that speed bump. And those apples went everywhere out the back of that truck. They're all, I looked in the rearview mirror, and they're just spilled all over the place, rolling all over the school parking lot. And one of my buddies, wouldn't you know, a teammate of mine, is walking between the buildings, and he just starts laughing at me, yelling and hollering, what are you doing? And so I had to go face Coach Miller. Now, facing Coach Miller, I would imagine, at least as far as I can relate in my own life, would probably be a little bit like Peter facing Jesus. Now, I wouldn't equate Coach Miller with God. He's not God, and he would be the first to admit that. But at the same time, during that time of my life, he was God to me during that third period, if you know what I mean. I had to go to him. <laughs> Here I was, a 17-year-old kid, and I sheepishly walk in, and Coach, what? There's apples all over the parking lot. <laughs> well, how, how are there apples all over the parking lot? Well, I told him a story. And in the moment, I'll never forget it, in the moment when I think Coach Miller is about to rip me and just let me have it and throw me off the team and ruin my hopes for college baseball, the whole deal, it's all over, you know. He just looks at me with a grin on his face. He said, he said what did you think this was, the Apple 500? <laughs> he said, are you doing laps in the parking lot? You know, it was the most amazing. Th I learned something about grace that day from Coach Miller, that in that moment when when Peter expects the worst from Jesus and he gets something surprising, in the moment when I expected the worst from Coach Miller, I got a graceful response. That's what Peter gets. He had abandoned Jesus. He had messed up. He'd spilled apples all over the parking lot. <laughs> and everybody knew it. But Jesus never abandoned him. He never abandoned him no matter what Peter had done. Don't miss that this morning. You may need to hear that truth applied directly to you, that you may say, I've spilled apples all over the parking lot. There's no hope for me. I don't even want to go in and face what I'm going to experience. But Jesus never abandoned Peter. In fact, all he did was come to him and say, hey, do you love me? In restoring him, Jesus cooks him breakfast. He doesn't approach him as a prosecuting attorney, but as a friend. And all he says is, do you love me? He doesn't say, Peter, what are you going to do to make up for all this stuff? How are you going to clean up the apples in the parking lot, Peter? What about the smashed ones? Are you going to pay for those? How about all this money I've invested, all this time I invested? What are you going to do with all that? Jesus doesn't say any of that stuff. All he says is, do you love me? Isn't that amazing? I mean, if you don't find that amazing this morning, number one, you're probably asleep, so wake up your neighbor. But number two, you're not paying attention. You don't understand the truth and the absolute grace of God that when we've messed up and spilled stuff everywhere, Jesus doesn't come and say, how are you going to clean up this mess? He just says, do you love me? Let me restore you. I'll pick up the mess and let's go. What a great truth this morning. 
It's a guide for us. Because God has told us there's no way we can clean up the apples in a parking lot. We've messed up. We've smashed them all. They're everywhere. And we cannot clean up the mess that we've made. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. And yet, what do we do when we talk to God? God, I'm sorry I did that. I'll throw an extra 20 bucks in the offering plate. I'll make up for it. I, you know, Some of you did that this morning. Now listen, we appreciate that. Thank you very much. But, it was a joke. But, but does that cover your sin? Doing a little something extra for God, just throwing God a bone? From, no, no, no. The only thing that covers your sin is what? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. So why do we try all these other things? Because we don't understand the restoration that Jesus brings. He just simply says, do you love me? Peter says, yes. And then Jesus says, okay, because you love me, go do this. Because you love me, I want you to feed the sheep. Because you love me, I want you to shepherd my people. That's what Jesus tells Peter. He didn't tell him, hey, uh, would you shepherd my people? That'll prove that you love me. No, no, he says, do you love me? Yes. All right, then go. What a great truth. It's not over. So be restored to Jesus just like this today. Number four. After being restored, get up. <laughs> get up. Jesus made it clear that Peter's repentance included not only an acknowledgement of, of the fact that he had messed up and a confession of love, but some action after the fact. That was going to be part of it. He, was, he had something planned that Peter was going to go and do. So this morning you say, all right, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm going to repent this morning. I'm going to be restored to Jesus. Amen. But I just want to tell you, the last two things here are just as important. Number four being get up. Peter wasn't to sit by the fire and contemplate all his problems, wallow in his failures and do nothing. Well, I, Jesus loves me, but i gotta, I got to get flogged here a little bit. Who's flogging you, Peter? Well, I am because I deserve it. Well, sure you do. You realize that you deserve every single piece of shame and guilt that comes your way. You deserve all of that apart from Jesus Christ. But when you are in Jesus Christ, He simply says to you, don't lay in all that junk. That shame and guilt that Satan keeps throwing at you, get up and move on from that stuff because you are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and it doesn't have to penetrate your life anymore. Not anymore. It's time to get up. The time for pouting is over, Jesus says to Peter. I've got something else for you. There are sheep to feed and People to shepherd, Peter. You can't, you can't do that if you stay here. So get up and let's go. I wonder what that means in your life. I wonder what it means in your attitudes and your decisions and your actions and your habits and in your marriage and your parenting and your habits and dreams and your life as a student. I wonder what it means for you to get up. Where have you just laid down in your life? I just, you know what? I know that Jesus real and I know he loves me and but I, I'm just going to sit here where is it that you've not gotten up I mean, seriously where is it maybe there's a, there's a couple here today a married couple you say you know what we're, we're just laying down on the job really and it's time for us to get up and do something about our marriage maybe there's a parent here today who says you know what I just I've been laying down on the job, and it's time for me to get up and to engage with my children once again, no matter how old they are. You know, it's never too late to start doing the right thing. Never. 
I wonder who it is in your habits and the sins that you have and the things that are going on in your life that are just beating you down. I wonder who it is who would say, you know what, this morning I'm going to get up. Jesus looks at Peter and says, feed the sheep, shepherd the people. And Peter had to get up. I wonder what the next step for you to take is. What the next right decision to be made is. It's not over today. It's not over. So get up. Focus on the next step, the next right decision. And then finally, number five, move forward. You say, all right, I'm on my feet. (laughs) That feels good. I haven't stood up in a long time. I've just been laying down in the mud, chasing the apples around a parking lot. Now I'm up. What do I do? Move forward. Look at verse 18. When you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. Now, Jesus is just kind of using a little example here. He says, you know, you used to dictate what was going to happen to you. But guess what? When you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. You realize that tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because of his faith in Jesus. He did not deem himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. And he said, do it upside down. They'll tie you and they'll carry you where you don't want to go. None of us would say, oh, I want to be crucified. He said this to signify, there again, by what kind of death he would glorify God. And then look at this next part. This is great. After saying this, he told him what? Stay there and consider what you've done for a little while longer. I'll be over here in Galilee. And then when you've figured it out, when you know all the answers and you've, you've cleaned yourself up, then you get up and we'll talk about it. And what's he say? Two words, follow me. Move forward. Get up and move forward. Jesus wasn't done with Peter despite his denial. He wasn't to dwell on what he did, but on the grace of Jesus Christ that overcame it all, and through that grace he could move forward. You realize that Peter became a very different man after this? His arrogance is replaced with humility. His irrational and his impulsive speech and behavior becomes bold preaching and action for the gospel. His empty words of commitment, I'll die for you, become a sincere devotion in both life and eventually in death. His self-focused direction, just being his own man, eventually and in this moment becomes a mission that's focused squarely on the glory of God. So move forward. I want you this morning to be challenged and to hear this, to leave the old behind, to turn the page. I wonder what that would look like in your life to say, I'm turning the page. In my marriage, you know what, together, we are going to turn the page. In my parenting, in your dating life, in your education, in your job, in your dreams, what if you said this morning, by the grace of God, not by my own strength, but by the grace of God and the truth of the resurrection that's offered to me, I'm moving forward. I'm turning the page. I'm not going to be the same person I was when I walked in here. And by God's grace, that's exactly what will happen. There's a video that I want to close with. Opened with a video, and I want to close before I pray with a video that I believe ties together all the things that this passage of Scripture really talks about. Listen to this, watch this, and hear the truth of it as it's played.
a powerful way to illustrate what the Scripture tells us. That we need to apply the truth of the resurrection to our own lives. And I wonder, have you done that or have you given up? It's not over. Jesus is alive. There is hope. All your junk, just as the video says, was crucified and buried with him, Paul says, but it wasn't resurrected. (laughs) He's taken care of it all. It's paid for. I wonder, do you believe that, and are you living as if you do? Several need hope today. The resurrection of Jesus tells us that it's not over for you. So what's the step to take for you today? Don't quit. Repent. Be restored. Get up. Move forward. In just a second, Danny's going to come and play for us. We'll sing Amazing Grace, which is sums up really what Jesus did for us. You may say, you know what, as a person I need to come and I need to kneel and I need to pray because I have quit or I need to be restored. I need to get up. I need to move forward and you just want to come and pray. Or maybe as a married couple, you'd say we've quit on our marriage. We've quit on our children. We've quit on our hopes and our dreams and we today need to repent together. What is it that God has called you to do today? Would you be so bold in just a moment as to come and pray and to pour your heart out before the Lord and say, God, I'm not leaving here today until I'm restored. He'll do it. Don't quit. Repent if you need to. Be restored and then get up and move forward and praise God that you can. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the truth of Jesus Christ for the power of your resurrection that can be applied to us today. Thank you that it's not over, no matter how bleak it may seem in our lives. So God, help us to capture that truth in our minds, and may you drive it deep into our hearts. Change us, Lord, we pray, with the truth of the resurrection. Bring us, Lord, to the place where we recognize our sin, we repent from it, we're restored, and then we get up and we move forward. Praise God. Lord, help us today with the courage maybe to come and bow for prayer or to make a fresh commitment to you this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.